0: Thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. We are local. We're in the Wyoming Valley in the Wilkes-Barre area. What we're looking to do is to start small groups. We want to study the Bible together. We want to see what the Bible says. We want to then live that out. We're trying to be disciples ourselves, and we want to make other people be disciples of Jesus Christ. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us for video content, teaching, and preaching. You can find us on YouTube as well. Be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any new videos. And please also look for God's Resistance Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to have a Bible study, you want to pray with somebody, you want to talk to somebody, then please contact me at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give me a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. Last week, we looked into 1 John, the first chapter, and we talked about what it meant to be a real Christian. We talked about the Gnostics, and that is the context we need to understand as we look through the book of 1st John to properly understand it and then apply it to our present day. And today we're picking up on the second chapter of 1st John. Not only did it mean something to those disciples back then, but it means something to us now. And that's what I hope to bring about as we look through this chapter. And let's just jump right into it. We, uh, well, first, we talked last week. We were saying how that those Gnostics believed that they had no sin They didn't need a salvation from a Savior because they had the special knowledge, and John was warning his believers, the people whom he birthed in the faith, and saying, listen, don't fall for these people. And I said how the Gnostic teaching is still alive and well in the present day that we're living in. Well, we're continuing the same kind of a thought pattern. We've got our Bible broken up with chapters and verses, but it was originally as a letter to people. So if we can think like that as we read through this, we can get the whole picture, the whole context, and have a good idea of what's being said. John continues talking to these converts whom he loves very dearly. And we pick, up it, pick it up in the first verse of First John chapter 2. He said, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If you remember from last week, I had said the Bible does not teach a sinning religion. Neither are those verses in the previous chapter uh, teaching that if you say that you're without living a life without sin, then you're a liar, the truth's not in you. If we don't understand the context, we'll be preaching a sinning religion. And if you missed last week's episode, go ha- head over to your favorite podcast platform, type in God's Resistance. And look for the uh, episode of First John chapter 1 to get a little bit more detail as to what I had spoken last time. I don't have the time to go through all that again, but we're picking up now. And he addresses these people as, my little children. So John, he had a personal ownership of these converts as like a parent to a child. He said, my little children. He poured himself into these people. He no doubt helped them to understand the gospel. People got saved under his ministry. He was like a parent. They were his children. And he addresses them with that affectionate term, my little children. When we think about him calling the, the converts little children, that brings up a, a little bit of a, a, of a truth to us that here he's saying they're little, so they're not as experienced in the faith. They're not as mature in the faith as he was. They're not as knowledgeable in the faith as he was. And so here he's speaking to them, and he's saying to them, my little children. He is talking to these ones as little children, as dear children. Now, the purpose of him uh, speaking this, as we read in this verse now, is to separate error from truth. He was cautioning them still in this letter against the Gnostics, and he's telling them, beforehand last week we were talking about how he was saying you live a life without sin now if that was full stop what he said live a life without sin what would happen if somewhere after we became a christian we did sin then would we be without hope and as he brings them the truth of living a life without sin he's also thinking about practical reality that sometimes someone might sin and he didn't want that person to feel like they sinned and now there's no hope for them. So this is what this verse is. He says, this is why I'm writing to you that you sin not. So he brings out the possibility that you can live a life without sin. However, also brings in our view an exception. And the exception is not, but when you sin, but if you sin. So there's an exception. I'm telling you this so you live a life without sin, but if, if in the unfortunate event that you sin, in the heat of the battle, you may fail, it's not a necessity that you fail, but it can happen. And he's saying, if it does happen, I'm writing to you that you live a a life without sin, but if it does happen, now that is help to somebody who wants to walk with God, that's found that maybe they failed somewhere along the way. He said, you have an advocate. You have somebody to vouch for you, somebody to speak on your behalf. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but looking into lexicons, this word advocate is the Greek word paraclete, and the Holy Spirit is referred to with the same Greek word, which is interesting. So we're told that we have an advocate. Jesus is our advocate, also the Holy Ghost, that Jesus and the Holy Ghost are one person, and that is... That's quite a thought. There's a little piece of the Trinity there. Jesus and the Holy Ghost are God and one and the same person. And he says that this word Paraclete literally means "to come alongside." So he's saying, "If you fail, you fall into sin. you have an advocate. You have somebody who will come alongside you, Christ. He's our advocate. He'll come alongside us, the Holy Ghost. He'll come alongside us. The Holy Ghost does the things that God promises to us. He is the, uh, somebody has said, the executive of the Godhead. He is the one that puts God's will into action in our lives. And so we're told that if we fail, we fall, if we sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, Jesus Christ the righteous, he's a qualified advocate, he's a qualified judge. So we have somebody qualified to stand between us and God and to vouch for us he is like our lawyer representing us taking our case unto himself and saying father this one they they they've been living a life walking with you but they failed right here oh father look at the nail prints in my hands i love them i've died for them forgive them lord for my sake he's our advocate he doesn't say that we live a sinning religion we live a life without sin and if we fail along the way he is there as our advocate to come alongside us. The second verse, not only is he our advocate, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And this, mean, this word propitiation means he is the appeasing. He's the reco- reconciling. He's the atonement. He is the reconciling of us to God. Where God's wrath is poured out on those that are disobedient and transgress him, he is a propitiation for us. Not only was he a propitiation for us if we were not saved and we were living a life of sin, he was that reconciling to us then. And, but in this context, how much more is he that reconciling to us if after we've been saved and we're walking with God in the unfortunate event that we sin, he says he is the propitiation for our sins, for the Christian, if he ends up in the unfortunate case to sin He is this not only for our past sins, but right now. He is this for the sins of the entire world, we're told. Even the Gnostic deniers, he's the propitiation for them, even though they say they don't need him. He is the all-encompassing reconciler to God. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the whole world. The third verse. And hereby, we do know that we know him if we keep His commandments. So here we find a test. For true assurance. A test of others fruits. That would try to influence us. A test of inner knowledge. Our inner knowledge. Of our experiential knowledge. He says. If we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. Why does he say if? There's a story told. Of Abraham Lincoln. Going to. An auction block where they were auctioning off slaves. And there was this young slave girl that's up on the auction block. And he knew this other man who was bidding on this lady was kind of a ruthless man. And so Abe Lincoln started bidding for this slave girl. Then the, the other man started bidding. Well, Abe Lincoln kept bidding, bidding, bidding until he won the bid. And after that, The girl comes along after Abraham Lincoln. The other man's upset and Abraham Lincoln says, well, I've purchased you and I am now setting you free. You're free to go. And the slave girl with amazement is thinking, who are you? You just spent all that money and now you're going to let me go. And she said, no, no, no. If that's the kind of heart you have, I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to work for you. And the story is told that she stayed with abraham lincoln because she loved him it's the same with the christian we're christ's love slave and the test of true assurance is we know if we know him if we keep his commandments not because i have to if i want to be a christian but because god has changed me and made me a new person i keep his commandments there's reality inside of me that's what john is telling these people if you keep his commandments you're his There's true salvation in you, fourth verse. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So the life of God in the soul makes a radical difference in any person. You can't wear Jesus like a little decoration. Well, I love Jesus, so I put a necklace on with a cross on it or I love Jesus, I listen to Christian radio, I listen to uh, some Christian singers or something, I love Jesus. We can't just wear him like a decoration. If we have Jesus Christ, there is a radical transformation in our part. And John tells us that if we don't live in a way where we keep his commandments, you're a liar. In the book of Revelation, we're told all liars have their part in the lake of fire. God's not mincing words with us. He wants us to be freed and he wants us to walk with him. The way that he intended. There's a lot of people that will try and tell us a different gospel where we can live however we want, but the scriptures don't teach that. He says, all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. You're a liar if you wear Jesus like a decoration, if you're not keeping his commandments. So the way you live in sin is a wholesale rejection of the salvation of God. If you say, I love Jesus, and you still live in sin... You are rejecting the very point of the gospel, which was to save us from our sins and to deliver us. And there is no salvation without deliverance. Think about prisoners of war during the Holocaust. They could be told that the war was won against the Nazis, but it really didn't mean anything to them until they were freed from those camps, from those concentration camps. And it's the same thing. The salvation of God doesn't mean anything until I know of the deliverance where I'm set free from the bondage of sin that I was previously in. We read in the fifth verse, But whoso keepeth his word, God's word, in him verily or truly is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. It says that whoso keepeth his word which helps us to realize, especially in the whole context, that this is more than a head knowledge. It's not just, I, 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 like, his, I like to read the Bible. It's, there, there's something about it that I just like. He's saying keeping his word is more than that. It's more than head knowledge. It's a cherishing God's word. It's an eagerness to read God's word and to know his word and to obey God's word. He said, whoso keepeth his word, like I just said, In him truly is the love of God perfected. The love of God perfected means the love of God is accomplished in us. The love of God came to us through the salvation of Jesus Christ, through the radical transformation. And he says, whoever keeps his word, loves, cherishes, and obeys it, that love of God has been accomplished inside of the soul. That love of God has done its purpose with inside of the soul. So through that, he says, hereby know we that we are in him. We know We are truly dwelling in God if we keep his word. Let me ask you, listener, are you keeping God's word? Are you cherishing it? Are you eager to hear it? Do you love him and are you obeying him? If you're not, then you must examine your heart, whether or not you are in the faith. Let's move on to the sixth verse. He that saith he abideth in him and God ought himself also so to walk even as he walked or abiding in Christ. So the living Christ, if we're saved, if we're Christians, the living Christ should be walking out his life in and through me. And he said, if we say that we love Jesus and we're Christians and we're followers of him and we abide in him, then we should be walking like he walked. There should be the resemblance of Christ in us in holiness and in supernatural divine holy power inside of our hearts. And if we're living a life of sin, it's hard to see Christ in our lives. Verse 7, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. So, the new commandment, I think he's making a reference here to the teachings of the Gnostics. They came out with this new teaching that the Bible didn't teach before. The Old Testament didn't seem to bring these truths about, but they come out with this new teaching. And he says, Brethren, I'm not writing to you a new commandment, but an old one. So it was nothing new that was from John. It was always the heart of God from the beginning to deliver his people and to save them from their sins. In the beginning, it's also speaking about, I'm not teaching you a new doctrine than what Jesus taught the apostles from the beginning of, of, of the faith of Christ unveiled. So, From the beginning, it was the apostles' teaching, it was the apostles' life, and he's talking about the beginning of the ones whom he's writing to, the beginning of their Christian life. He's saying, There's nothing new. You already know this. This is the simple truth from God that we are to live a life victorious over sin. So instead of seeking out new um, ways to, uh, new mystical ways to follow God, he is telling these people the simple gospel and the simple truth. Picking up in verse 9, he says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. Notice John is not concerned with us just having a head knowledge, knowing a form of doctrine, being able to say the right things, and say, well, we have this imputed righteousness. God sees us with rose-colored glasses. He's saying, guys, this faith affects you. You live different. You live right. And so he says, he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. So the light within scatters light out of us. If we really have the light of God in us, then light will shine from our lives to the people around us and to the world around us. No healthy body is at war with itself. So he says, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, that's not a healthy relationship. That's not the way the body of Christ works. We're all one we think about it with people with an autoimmune disorder. Their body starts attacking itself and they're in the most miserable condition. Why would it be any different with us trying to live with others that say they're saved and yet we hate them? God says, no, that's not right. No schisms in the body. And if you are living in that way, you're living in darkness even until now, even this very moment, listener, if you hate your brother. Verse 10, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light. And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So abiding, it means continually living and dwelling within. He said, he that loveth his brother and continually dwells in the light, there is none occasion of stumbling in him. This word stumbling in the Greek is the word scandalon, which we would get the word scandal from. He says, if we really truly live in the light and love our brother, We don't stumble in darkness, nor do we cause other people to stumble in darkness and sin. But these Gnostics, their influence was entirely different. They were leading people into sin. Verse 11. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. And darkness is the cause of gross ignorance of self and all truth. That's what this verse is telling us. Because of the hatred inside of my heart. I'm in darkness. I don't even know that I'm in, in as much darkness as I am in. And I'm, I'm kind of lying to myself. And I'm groping in the dark. All my deeds are dark. You know, I, I'm, I'm living a lie. I'm playing the hypocrite. The 12th verse. Again, John says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake, for Christ's namesake. In other words, it's like John is saying, don't let forgiveness of sins be robbed from you by listening to these people who are trying to tell you a lesser way. You've been forgiven of your sins, and I'm telling you this, little children, because you have reality. Don't fall into the error of these people's ways. And I'd say the same to you, listener. There's so many uh, people in Christendom now that teach that if you're going to walk with God and you're really going to be saved, you know, you'll, you'll still just keep on sinning and thought, word, and deed every day. And I think it's because they have a wrong definition or idea of what sin is, because I do believe there's good godly people that believe that, but they live higher than what they say. And then there's other people that hear that teaching, and there's no change in their life. But he's saying, you little children have had your sins forgiven by his namesake. Don't go back into the mire again. Stay walking with God. Verse 13, I write unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. So now he's telling those that, that, that probably the first fruits of salvation under Christ, around the same time as the apostles, they would have been the fathers in the faith. And he's saying, I'm telling you this because you have known him that is from the beginning. <clears throat> you knew Christ. You know what I'm talking about. But then he says, I write unto you young men. So maybe these were the next generation of believers because you have overcome the wicked one. He's saying, you've experienced the salvation of God. That's why I'm telling you, young men, and I write unto you little children, because you've known the Father. They knew God in experience. Verse 14 almost sounds like an echo of verse 13, which anytime you see that in scripture, take heed to it, it's very important. He says, I've written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning, which he said just previous. And then he said, I've written unto you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abideth in you. He's, he's giving them a confidence. He's giving them a boost. You have been delivered from your sins. You're strong. The word of God abides in you. Don't throw that off and go after these false teachers and lose that strength and grace and power of God in your lives. Don't go that way. And ye have overcome the wicked one. He said, you already fought the battle and overcome the wicked one. Don't go back into his hands. Don't go back in the devil's territory verse 15 he says love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him and this is essentially the danger that this gnostic teaching boiled down into was that if this body's material and i have the special knowledge well then i can live however i want and give myself over to wickedness because at least i have the special knowledge and that special knowledge will save me And that is, again, at large, what most evangelical Christianity has been teaching as of late. That as long as you have this special knowledge, it doesn't matter how you live, because God saved you once and for all, and you can't be unsaved. And I would agree, you can't be unsaved, so to speak, but you can forfeit your covenant relationship with God and end up not being in that saved state anymore because you're not doing your part. It's not that God somehow you know, you just somehow woke up and were lost. It's this you turned your back on God. And here we find, he says, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world, because that was the appeal of the Gnostics. You don't have to live like this, enjoy life. You know, these things are just wicked, but you got your ticket punched, so you're set for heaven. That was what they had taught. And he's saying, no, if any man loved the world, the love of the Father's not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh And the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So if you give yourself to these, to the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, you are a slave and a servant to them. You are a slave and a servant to darkness. He's saying, don't do that. These false teachers, that's where they're going and that's where they're leading people, but you've experienced the salvation of God. Don't go that way yourself. Verse 17. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. In other words, don't give yourself to the temporal material things, but give yourself over to those things eternal. The gospel is the victory over the short-lived material world. Don't sell yourself, don't sell your eternal home for some trinkets here, for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He said, the word of God and the will of God abides forever. Grab hold of those things that last throughout eternity. Verse 18, little children, it is the last time. And as you've heard that antichrist shall come, even now are there many antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. There's countless deception right now. And the most insidious deception is that which is crept into the visible church. And he's telling us, There is always a spirit that works against Christ, even though there may be some figure of Antichrist in the last days. The spirit of Antichrist is already here. Watch out for the deception, Christians. That's what he's telling them, and that's the same warning for us. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. So these Gnostics, at one point, we were gathering together with the believers and worshiping with them, but they left. And those that have departed from the simple truth of Christ were the Gnostics, and that still happens in these days. And oftentimes, new teachings are made up because of the rejection of the simple sin-killing truth. People don't want to part with their sins, so they make up some special teaching, and then they part ways with the true believers. 1 John 2.20 But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. If you're sold out to the Spirit of God, He will instruct and protect you. He gives you the unction of the Spirit where you know, this is off. I'm not going to walk in this way. 21, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. So the warning is to stay in the truth and not cave to the false. And in our day, don't cave to the easy believism. Repent of your sin, live a holy and a godly life. That's the gospel. And if there is that, you know, a period or possibility of backsliding in in your personal choice to forfeit your own salvation, he says, don't do that. You know the truth. Don't forfeit your salvation. Don't backslide. Don't walk away from God. Verse 22, who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He's Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. So the denial that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and lived without sin in the human body is the spirit of Antichrist. And whoever denies the possibility of us living now in this life, freed from sin, is being influenced by the spirit of Antichrist. Verse 23. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. So no need to listen to the false people, because they're going to lead us astray, and they're not new Christians. We want all of what Christ purchased on Calvary. 24, let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. So don't be influenced to turn your back on what you know is the simple gospel truth, which is deliverance and freedom from sin. Keep walking in that way. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, eternal life. So eternal life is at the end of walking in obedience to the gospel. There's nothing worth trading. For eternal life these things have i written unto you concerning them that seduce you there were days of seduction then and there's still days of seduction now but the anointing which you've received of him abideth in you and ye need not that any man teach you but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is true and is no lie and even as it hath taught you ye shall abide in him not against true christian teachers here in this verse because that would make the Bible fall apart, but we don't need any special teachers to teach us the hidden meaning of the scriptures. The Holy Spirit will help us to plainly understand the truth. The Holy Spirit will lead us in the ways of truth and soberness. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If we don't abide in him and live a life without sin, then we will be ashamed when we see him. That's what this verse is telling us. In verse 29, If ye know that Jesus is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Christ. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission to the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in- Join the resistance, God's resistance.